John chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of them, John bare witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Amen. And that is the word of God. Well, first of all, Happy New Year to everyone. God, in the 91st Psalm, once said that for his beloved children, quote, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. All you have made it through another year. And in this very first Lord's Day, we are gathered for the worship of God. We are thankful for the privilege of being alive. Amen. It is also a privilege for me to deliver to you the first Lord's Day message of this brand new year. And I hope the feeling is mutual as you know that it is critical for us to start things off right. Uh, Today we are gathered to worship God because we believe in strong beginnings. Right here, right now, on the first worship of this brand new year, We are acknowledging and requesting God's blessing as we begin 2022. Speaking of beginnings, no matter what revisionist historians attempt to spin, know that our country is the global superpower today because of the strong faith that has been recorded of our leaders at the very beginning of this nation. I was preparing for this message. I was rummaging through the National Archives, and I found this general order written by George George Washington dated May 2nd of 1778, so roughly about three years after the beginning of the Revolutionary War. Here's what General Washington wrote. Quote, The commander-in-chief directs that divine service be performed every Sunday at 11 o'clock, in those brigades to which there are chaplains. Those which have none attend the places of worship nearest to them. It is expected that officers of all ranks will by their attendance set an example to their men. We are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers. We certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. To the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. 
the signal instances of providential goodness which we have experienced and which have now almost crowned our labors with complete success demand from us in a peculiar manner the warmest returns of gratitude and piety to the supreme author of all good, end quote. Those commands were penned at the very beginning of our nation, before even the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, just after. And isn't it amazing that roughly 244 years later, here you are, at a chaplain, with a chaplain, at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, worshiping God. We know from his writings, George Washington, as a devout Christian, laid down strong foundations directing all American troops to worship God, the supreme author of all good things, because he knew that the Almighty was the one who had crowned our labors with complete success. Washington knew from the very start of the Revolutionary War that God was indispensable. And once the war ended, he gave proper worship to God again and again. We read it in all of his writings because he knew that without God's help, there was no way on earth a ragtag group of colonists could have defeated what was at that time the armies of the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. So centuries later, here we are beginning 2022, we too look to God and ask him to crown all our labors this upcoming year with complete success. And as we begin 2022, we look back to roughly the year 70 A.D., the estimated year in which the Apostle John wrote today's gospel. And the beauty about the Christian faith is that it is rooted in both time and history. When we believe in the resurrection and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we are not following cleverly devised myths. Instead, we are trusting in historical facts. John, who was an eyewitness disciple of Jesus, reflects here in verse 14 that God became human in Jesus Christ and actually dwelt among them. God becoming human is one of John's major themes. John ate with Jesus. John touched Jesus. John had a face-to-face friendship with Jesus. Friends, Christianity is not some hyper-spiritual myth that lacks proof. Archaeology has now identified and verified that Pontius Pilate did exist, And I don't know if you know this, but many scholars debated that for many years, until about the 60s. That indeed the governor of Judea existed, and that he was the the governor at the time of Jesus' trial and crucifixion. Archaeology has verified the rules of both Herod the king and Tiberius Caesar, as per the New Testament. Archaeology has even found the ossuaries of the high priest who demanded the crucifixion of Jesus as named by the New Testament. This faith is no myth. This Bible is no myth. This gospel is no myth. 
And not only did George Washington believe that, my sincere belief here is that all of you will believe that, for there is no hope for this upcoming year outside of the Word of God. Now, as you read the other Gospels, you'll notice quickly that the Gospel of John differs from those of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there's a good reason for that. Clement of Alexandria stated, quote, Last of all, John perceiving that the external facts have been made plain in the other canonical Gospels, composed a spiritual Gospel, end quote. And that's cited by Eusebius. John's gospel is truly a spiritual gospel. For example, John is the only apostle to record Jesus' discourse with Nicodemus, in which Jesus informs of humanity's need to be born again. John, like no other apostle, declares Jesus as God, and that in order to go to heaven, we must believe in Jesus as God. That truth is lost today. Just drive around on the highways, read all the pluralistic bumper stickers. Very few people believe this. Now, as Christians, we just finished celebrating Christmas, but John, when writing his gospel, skips the nativity scene altogether and goes further back. John begins his gospel with these famous words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Going back to creation, John declares that the baby in the manger was actually God incarnate who existed prior to even the creation of time itself. At the very beginning, when there was nothing, there was God and his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 10 informs us that John specifically tells us that Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, was the one who made the world. God the Father chose to create the universe through God the Son. And this morning, God wants you to go home with the most foundational, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, not all verses in the Bible are equally important. Not all doctrines in the Bible are equally important. That might sound odd, but it's true. And this morning, God wants you to go home with, I believe, the most important of all doctrines. And it's found in verse 12. And this morning, if I am to be faithful to John's authorial intent, I must lay out as clearly as possible John's most central theme. And the foundational lesson is this. As the years are flying by, there is only one way to heaven, by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord, God, and Savior. That's it. Later, John himself said, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So right there was the author's intent for writing this gospel. In another one of his letters, in 1 John, the apostle ends with the words, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. All religions do not lead to God. Muhammad, Allah, Buddha, the Pope, the Virgin Mary, 
will not give you eternal life. Only faith in Jesus Christ will give you life eternal. Or as to quote scripture in verse 12, but to many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. On whose name? On the name of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. Now those words, only begotten Son, came up twice today in our passage. Once in verse 14, and again in verse 18. And as I exposit this text, it also comes up in perhaps the most famous Bible verse of all. John 3.16. We all know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now all sorts of heresies and false religions have assaulted those precious words in an attempt to deny the Trinity. The Mormons have perverted it. Jehovah Witnesses have assaulted it. And most infamously, roughly about 600 years after Christ, Muhammad, a 40-year-old illiterate orphan, began to spread a new religion known as Islam across the Arabian Peninsula. In a direct attack on our verses today, Muhammad dictated the following to be written in the Quran. Quran 112. He is Allah, the one and only Allah, the eternal absolute. He begetteth not, nor is he begotten, and there is none like unto him. End quote. And that was a direct attack on what he saw as a perversion known as Christianity. Now, in an an attempt, a modern attempt to minimize confusion, some English translations have taken out the word begotten and replaced it with the word only. But the original Greek word here utilized by the Apostle John is indeed the word monogenes. And it literally translates into the words only begotten. As always, the problem is not with the word or with the author of Scripture, but rather our understanding of the word. And in John's day, the word did not mean created or produced through intercourse. It is incorrect to say God the Father created Jesus. Even worse, it is blasphemous to say that God the Father produced Jesus through intercourse. Rather, the word monogenes means one and only, with regard to relationship and substance. For example, Hebrews 11.17, you could go home and look it up, mark it down. Hebrews 11.17 uses the same word as well. And in that verse, we can clearly see that even in English, the word could not have meant birth, create, or to have produced. In using the word, John meant that unlike us mortals who become sons of God through faith in the gospel, Jesus, on the other hand, was God's monogenes son, the only and unique son in that he eternally existed and, like God the Father, was in every way and substance 100% fully divine. In other words, in stating that Jesus was the only begotten monogenes son of God, John was declaring Jesus was fully God and his audience fully knew that. 
And that is why later on they pick up stones to kill him. And the truth is the devil also knew that. And he has been working hard at keeping it concealed from the world. Muhammad in his continued assault on the divinity of Jesus says in Quran 23, Allah has not taken any son, nor has there ever been with him any deity. If there had been, then each deity would have taken what is created. And some of them would have sought to overcome others. Exalted is Allah over what they describe concerning him. End quote. Friends, all religions are not the same. Till this day for Muslims, it is the height of blasphemy. It is the blasphemy of infidels to say that Jesus Christ is God. Yet for Christians... We are told that in order to go to heaven, we must believe that Jesus is God. The two, more, the two major world religions could not be any more diametrically opposed in its most important and central teachings. Do both religions teach humanity to be kind to the poor? Yes. Do both religions teach some version of the golden rule? Yes. Do both religions teach that homosexuality and adultery are wrong? Yes. Unquestionably, there are indeed many similarities along moral precepts across all religions. But as they say, the devil is in the details. It is an error to then make the jump rationally and say all religions are the same. When it comes to the spiritual teachings that matter most... When it comes to the person of Jesus Christ, the differences are massive and have eternal ramifications. And I am not here to sugarcoat the most important truths you will ever hear. Your eternity depends on what you believe regarding Jesus. So pray if indeed, do some research if necessary, and then choose eternal life. Friend, there is no easy believism when it comes to Jesus because Jesus made some audacious claims. Christians believe in the Trinity, the fact that one God exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Ghost. Three persons, but one God. Not polytheism, one God. We believe that Jesus was fully God and fully human, two natures, in one person. Very similar to the Trinity, the doctrine of Jesus teaches us that Jesus had two natures, a human nature, divine nature, but in one person. Again, a precept necessary for eternal life. These are cornerstone facts that every person in order to go to heaven must believe. And you'll be surprised you walk around Ask someone if they believe in Jesus. They might say they will, but they don't believe these truths. And in verse 11, we are told that Jesus came unto his own people, the Jews. But they did not receive him as God. But John goes on to say that if we do, then Jew or not, we will have eternal life. My friend, in 2022 and beyond... Do you want eternity to be secured? I know you do. In closing, listen closely. I leave you with the gospel. Which if you believe, 
instantly makes the believer an inheritor of the gospel, of eternal life. The gospel is an audacious message. It talks about the joy. Uh, it, it talks about many things, but it talks about the joyous reality of knowing God, His love, and inheriting heaven. But it also talks about horrifying realities, like hell, sin. It's not merely eternal separation from God. In that sense, that cannot even logically occur. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And so the reality is, even in hell, God is there. So some people say eternal separation, but if that means a place where God no longer is present, that's not accurate. Hell is a place where God's presence is to punish and torment, as heaven is a place where God's presence is to bless. God is everywhere. Hell is not even eternal separation from God. Hell is eternal punishment. And the reality today, this morning, is that all of us as sinners deserved to go to hell. I led an adult Bible study this morning, and we spent a great amount of time discussing Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians 1, it says that God predestined us to be adopted children. And if you pause and think about it, the, the premonition of the world is that we are all by nature children of God, but the reality is we are all born children of wrath. Four essential points of the gospel Number one, there is a God who is holy, just, and righteous. He is a God of love. He is a God of justice. But he is also a God of holiness. Number two, all of us as human beings are sinners. We deserve hell for our sins. Someone once asked, is it right for God to send people to hell who've never heard the gospel? Think about individuals in some tribe in South America. Is it right that just because they never heard the gospel, God sends them to hell. And my response, the scriptural response, is clear. God does not send people to hell because they never heard the gospel. He sends them to hell because they are sinners. And as a just, holy God, he has to, by his nature, condemn sinners in hell. And that's bad news for all of us. Because scripture tells us that we are, by nature, from birth, sinners. And our lives testifies that. All of us have stolen, lied, cheated, and we know that we are sinners. We deserve hell from God. But the great news, and this is point number three in the gospel, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten, monogenes, son. God became flesh, historically, not mythically, lived a sinless life, John touched him, saw him, met him, wrote about him, left his eyewitness for us. After living a sinless life, John declares that Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of those who would believe in Jesus and then historically resurrected on the third day, evidencing that he indeed is God. And point number four. If you repent and you believe in Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior, you will have eternal life. Not easy believism. Don't think for a moment that simply because you're in church today, you're a Christian. And I've said this before. Being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a parking lot makes you a car. 
Being a Christian means that genuinely in your heart, you have heard the message that I just declared, and you believe. You fully trust in Christ for your eternal salvation, but also your life on earth. And the moment you believe, the moment you genuinely believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's when you're born again. A term found in the Gospel of John. John tells Nicodemus in that night, under the cover of night, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and John is told by Jesus, you must be born again. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You must be born again. So as we begin 2022, the question here this morning is, are you born again? Nothing else really matters. Time is flying by. Are you born again? Do you believe in Jesus as the only begotten Son of God? Or as John says in verse 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for today's word. My simple request is this. In a world with so many religions, and the devil evidently knows what he's doing because the major religions right now attack the divinity of Christ and the trinity of God. And against those demonic attacks this morning, I have declared your truths. My earnest prayer, Lord, is that for all who hear this morning and for all who have heard the gospel, that they would believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and have eternal life. In the name of Jesus, amen.